Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind, the mixtape where we discuss our favorite albums from every year, basically of the 80s, 90s, and whatever happens afterwards. Uh, I'm sure we could, we got 2000s, John, do you think? Easily. Oh, yeah, there's there's definitely some good stuff that came out in the 2000s. Not as much as the 80s and the 90s, but there's definitely a lot of stuff to hit. Yeah, the 2010s might be where I get lost, because I know that around 2013 is where I kind of give up. Yeah, I'm a little earlier than that, but, you know, but heck, you know, you, there's always something good that's coming out. Yeah. Even my old fuddy-duddiness. <laughs> All right, so what we do is he has five on his list, I have five on my list from 1981, and we discuss them. So, player's choice, you go first. I will, I will kick off uh, this one with uh, Generation X. Uh, and their final album, Kiss Me Deadly. Which is weird. When I listened now, to it, I thought I got lost. Because I was like, no, I know. I, Dancing With Myself is from his first album. So am I wrong? Was it never one of his own? Was it always on Generation X? Well, well, it was originally done by Generation X. Billy Idol was the lead singer of Generation X. And... Yeah, he ended up taking that, and I think there's like maybe one or two other songs uh, that they were recording, and they, he put them on his, his solo record. Okay. But basically, Generation X was the beginning of Billy I mean, he had done a couple of things before us, but this really was kind of the beginning of Billy Idol's career. Uh-huh. And it just, it really didn't last long. They only had like, what, three albums in total? Like their debut came out in 78. And it did did all right. Their second album uh, came out in '79 and tanked, and they basically ended up actually breaking up, which uh, ended up actually scuttling their third album, which 20 years later did get a release as a "Kiss Me Deadly Sweet Revenge." So what's the difference? But uh, oh, it's a lot of the different tracks. Some of them, a lot of it's basically demo versions of a lot of these things. Oh, okay. It's actually the first, it, not the first time I'd heard uh, Dancing With you, with Myself, but it was the first time I'd heard the raw version of it. And, like, Dancing With Myself, I love this song, but I think, like, their, their original demo and the, like, the, I think it's the 12-inch version of it, I think are much superior even to this album cut. Because it's, it's, like, much more of a, a hardcore punk song than kind of getting a little more poppy right as it did it's, it's almost poppy a dance song yeah yeah so basically what's happening is Billy Idol and uh, bassist uh, Tony James they put together another band and took a few songs from this dead album re-recorded them uh, it was Dancing With uh, Dancing With Myself uh, Star uh, oh god what is it Stars Look Down and uh, Triumph and Revenge and basically, in order to get this get this album put out, he kind of had to promise the uh, the powers that be that if this album failed, he would uh, give provide them a solo record because they had faith in Billy Idol. They just didn't have faith in the band. Okay. And and so the album tanked, and uh, it ended up with Billy Idol being able to now fulfill his obligations as a solo artist. And then uh, Tony James actually ended up going off and formed uh, Six Six Sputnik. So oh, I've heard of that band, but I've never listened to them before. Everybody kind of landed on his feet. Yeah, are they good? Oh, dude, we'll, oh, oh yeah, we'll cover them. Okay. Yeah, so, I um. But yeah, this the rest. Yeah, of, I, go ahead. What? Oh, what do you think of this album? I'll, I'll just have you go off. <laughs> That's literally what I was about to say. I think there's a time delay again. I don't know why this happens, but um. Cause we're not even that far apart from each other. It's not like you live on the East Coast. It's uh, it's weird. Uh, for me, it uh, it was an okay album. I, I feel like the the bones were there for another better album, which maybe is what happened with Billy Idol's first one. But what's interesting is B- Billy Idol himself burned out pretty fast. I don't think he was known for being a songwriter. That he had to pay other people to get songs for him and get a good producer. But he's more of a personality than uh, a creator. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I I do like this album. I, it's again definitely a much more mature sound than if you listen to their previous two albums. It 
is a lot more like there's definitely a lot more thought put into their things and a lot more uh, thought in the song construction but it does kind of have that problem with some of these bands that were going from pop uh, from punk and stuff like that to a little bit more like new wave sound yeah it's a lot of those bands like had transitions yeah it didn't go well for a lot of these bands yeah yeah, so you can you can kind of feel because there's some of these songs like you got uh, Triumph and Revenge, of course, which are you know it's like Triumph, one hell of a little uh, punky song on there. You got uh, What Do You Want, which is great. You know, Stars Look Down is very interesting to listen to because it compared to everything else on this album, it kind of it's just kind of way different. But it's like, yeah, it, it's one of these albums where I go. If you want to hear where Billy Idol came from, this I think is probably the best bet, or maybe Sweet Revenge. Again, Sweet Revenge is rough, but definitely if you wanted a punk, the punk sound, yeah, that's kind of where you were, where they were heading with that. Well, and also on this one is where you first start hearing the more pop tendencies that would eventually move into his music, which I so I think this is probably the most accessible, accessible. Yeah, like Heaven to Side especially, just this little poppy poppy song that it again, you go like punk band to new wave band. They sold out, how dare they <laughs> How dare you make money? But I think I'm good if you have anything else that you want to talk about on this one. No, I do not. Now, my first choice is a band who never had the chance to uh, have that accused of them because the second they came out, they were a massive success, and that's Men at Work. First album is Business As Usual, an album we listened to in the car a bazillion times growing up. And uh, I didn't know until I watched the documentary on Colin Hay that the album was so prevalent that some radio stations would have a No Men at Work day because it was played so often that audiences were torn between loving it and hating it, so they would take like a Wednesday off and promote the fact there'd be no man at work played today. Well, it's funny is I, honestly, I went going to this, I pretty basically thought the only man at work song I'd ever heard was Down Under. And then Who Can It Be Now pops on, and I'm like, I love this song. This was man at work? Holy <laughs> crap. One of the greatest solos on the saxophone ever. God, yeah, this is, you know, again, only thinking of them as the Down Under guys. Going into this, I wasn't exactly sure what I was going to get. And you get some stuff like uh, Underground, which is which is definitely a banger. Helpless Automaton is neat. Uh People loved to, uh, People just love to play with words. It's such an upbeat yet laid back song mm-hmm. that just I loved kind of the the dichotomy of that. Yeah, uh, be good, Johnny is one that but we used also to kinda, say all the time. There were a couple little. We used to say it all the time to each other. Me and my sister, be good, Actually, be good, be good, be good, be good. And then we, I worked with a guy named Johnny, and I used to do that. Be good, Johnny. I found that one annoying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I'm just going to oh, do that to you. I'm going to torture you from now yeah, on. Yeah, that... <laughs> oh, great. I should have said anything. Nah. I just, I just walked into that one, didn't I? Just like, just like I do with Andrew. So with this album, in America alone, six million copies were sold. And that that's astonishing for a band on their first album. Wow. Yeah, that... I didn't realize it was... Honestly, I did not realize that was a big hit. Again, mostly because you think of them, and it's, oh, they're a one-hit wonder. Uh, we have that little, you know, the catchy... Isn't that terrible, though, that Time erases other hits? Because they had, what, four or five top 40 hits, but Time likes to erase things. Yeah, but that's what we're here for, is to kind of go, hey, let's just remind you, this stuff is good. Now I try to just do one album per band. It ain't gonna it ain't gonna happen, people, because their second album in 1983, Cargo, is the best one yet, and I cannot wait to discuss it. Yeah, I I know that I'm gonna have definitely be repeating a couple of people, but I definitely want to stagger it out. A yeah, bit well, at I, the if same it's time. It, okay, so I had, I'm gonna say it now. I had Alice Cooper on my list for a long time because Special Forces I actually like more than Flush the Fashion. 
And I was like, do I want to do two Alice Coopers in a row? So I just held off. But I'm telling you right now, Special Forces is amazing. Uh, the Hottest Cop in the Block. Or Prettiest Cop in the Block. Oh, such a great song. <laughs> nice. Well, definitely got to check it out. But definitely, we also have, uh, when, once we get to 83, I can't wait to hear more Men at Work. Okay. Uh, what's your second choice? My next one is Echo and the Bunnymen, Heaven Up Here. Now, here's, here's the thing is, and I know them. I've never actually sat down and listened to anything besides the two major singles. Yeah, that's, well, that's the thing is, this is one of those greatest bands you've never heard of type groups. Like, pretty much since their inception, this is their first album, they had a, is this their first? Or is this, no, I think it's their first. If I'm, I'm wrong, I feel like an ass. But uh, basically, it's like they pretty much every single album from when they started until they first disbanded in 93 all their albums did very well now granted it's like ocean rain in 85 is their biggest hit and that has uh, a killing moon which is probably the song that if you know any echo and the Bunnymen song you know yeah. killing moon the um it's so atmospheric and moody, and I know I know as they got down the road that they had a more radio friendly, like college rock kind of sound. Um, this one is a world unto itself. It's it's a you dive in and it's it feels like a movie, is what it feels like. It's not it's not a um yeah it's not a concept album like one of mine on my list, but uh, it wants you to stay in that world the entire time. It doesn't want to break it up with different uh, styles and and tones it's it's dive in and just chill with it yeah because that's the thing it's like it's got like show up straight which is like the opening track kind of sets off this tone which is this melancholic gothy alternative soulful thing yeah it's got a hell of a and voice well yeah and while not not all the songs are like that you kind of but you kind of get this you know like little through thing of psychedelic especially the if you're looking at it from, say, the A side and B side of it, the B side of this thing is, like, very psychedelic, very uh, trippy. Because, I mean, you have things like uh, Turquoise Days and All My Colors. Actually, I think All My Colors ends the first side, but All My Colors, Turquoise Days, All I Want kind of come off like uh, Doors tracks, almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And there's... I. One one thing that helped me expand my music, my my enjoyment of music, uh, more so than just me myself, you know, is the game Rock Band. Mm -hmm. And there's a song on here called "It Was a Pleasure." I would love to play that song in Rock Band. With, you know, <laughs> dick around with my little plastic guitar. Uh, yeah, that that song just just bleeds fun <laughs> and really play fun play. You know what I heard is that with the, the whole lockdown virus thing that the sales of games like that especially the Wii and the Wii Sports and stuff like that, they're, they're skyrocketing because people are stuck in their house with their families and they're not secluding themselves in their room playing a, a solo game. They're trying to get some exercise and have some fun with the whole family so they're getting out the rock band again. They're getting out Wii Sports. I, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm kind of sad the whole movement oriented uh, gaming is kind of died off. Yeah, well the problem with that is that it's just never worked that well. But uh, that I think that's a that's a conversation for another podcast. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that one eventually in our video game discussion. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this album. I'm looking forward to experiencing some more stuff from them. Yeah, they're like I said, it's basically like what their six or seven albums or so. All that stuff is worth listening to. My uh, but, uh, what is your next? Oh, go ahead. Um, sorry. Um, I, I didn't expect you to pass off. That's what we'll do. We'll make it easy for everybody. When you're done, you pass it off to me, and I'll pass it back to you like a basketball, verbally. Um, so my second album is Time by ELO, maybe the last great album by them for a very long time. This is kind of when the band was falling apart, and I think the pressure was kind of getting to Jeff Lynne, and this is when he started contemplating stepping away. Uh, and then, he, of course, he would become part of the Traveling Wilburys like five years later. But Time is basically his last big epic. And I think it's their only concept album. And there's not a lot of hits in this. In fact, there was only one top 40 hit is Hold On Tight. 
But that's not the point of this. He wanted to create his own version of the wall. It's it's a shame that there wasn't too many hits off this because there's a lot of stuff on here that's really good, like Twilight. Even though it has this uh, cheesy and garbagey synth, it's so perfectly you know early '80s, late '70s that I love it. Uh, Ticket to the Moon. Uh, I'm a I'm a sucker for '80s prog ballads, uh-huh. so Ticket to the Moon 100% is is my jam. Like. Uh, Oh god, what is it? There is one of them that I mentioned. Uh, yeah, another another heartbreak is it's like I like the fact that it's uh, it's going for this melancholy tone. I only had a problem with the fact that it had a very high pitched synth in it that kind of worked against it. Oh, like where it almost sounds but like you... um, oh damn, what's that thing where you put your hand over it? It makes the alien sound a really high pitch electronic sound. What the hell is that thing called? Oh yeah, like a ther- yeah, ther- theremin. Theremin, yes, thank you, a theremin. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like so much really really good stuff in here. Uh, Rain is falling has this like Beatles influence in the sound. Yeah, it's just awesome. Well, and, and he was friends with uh, George Harrison, who would be in the Traveling Wilburys later. I think he had a lot of influences. Like his early stuff is very influenced by like Motown. You know, 50s and 60s rock and stuff like that. And then as he moved on through the last chunk of his, you know, career with ELO, really focusing on British rock and stuff like that, and European styles are being added into it. And I looked at this right now, and he had five singles from this, and only one charted in the top 40. That's, I'm guessing that was a huge disappointment for the uh, the studio that released this. Yeah, I mean... There's, I, I as as I was listening to that, and you know, I started I kept branching out a little bit more on on different ELO songs, and going, oh wait, I recognize that, I recognize that sort of sort of thing. I, I don't understand. I'm like, this is a this is a pretty damn solid album. I don't see why it didn't wouldn't have done as well. It's just, just I think I think it's because music had moved on. A lot of these prog bands, you know, uh, concept kind of bands in the '80s would have like one hit and then that was it like oh yes is a very very uh progressive band would never really broke through the mainstream except for owner of a lonely heart and that was kind of the you know toto was a little bit concept band you know a prog rock and and, and rush was pretty much done by now and i think they're mostly you know like uh late 70s but i think it's because everything started moving towards new wave yeah and and there's stuff in there you can tell that they they were kind of going for a little bit of the new wavy stuff, but then at the same time, like lights go down has this retro fifties feel to it. Yeah, and what the next like album a 50s they did? Rock song. I'm trying to remember the next album they did. I want to say it was called Balance of Power. I'm not sure, but they had a song called Rock and Roll is King, and that was their last hit. Yeah, I think I I think I did hear that one. That sounds familiar. Trying to look, uh, see the greatest hits because I know Strange Magic is a big one for them. Because um, they used to have this. Uh, so, oh, Sweet Talking Woman was a big hit. Mr. Blue Sky, uh, Don't Bring Me Down, um, which I used to torture a coworker with because his name was Bruce, and every time he was depressed, I would sing that to him. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you were the devil. Yes, Telephone Line. Uh, yeah, Strange Magic, Evil Woman. Um, I didn't realize that was from ELL. I always thought that was from somebody else. Huh? Can't Get Out of My Head and Roll Over Beethoven was a big one. Um, I'm a sucker for a movie that I've seen maybe eight times and I still have no idea what the fuck it's about. And that's the one they did before this, which is the soundtrack to Xanadu. <laughs> I don't know what Xanadu is about, uh, but I truly enjoy its insanity. Yeah, I believe I've seen Xanadu like once. And, you know, I can't, couldn't explain it to you because nope. I have absolutely no memory. I completely guessed that movie. <laughs> all right, so that's all i got to say about that one. It's, it's not their best, but it's a very interesting album. They're exploring new sounds, so I can appreciate that. Your turn. Let's see. All right. Well, I've got up next uh, Blue Oyster Colts. Fire of Unknown Origin. Oh my god, I love this album. It's the only one that I'd actually heard before because um, I was watching Heavy Metal 
And um, I was like, I really do like this song. Oh, it's from Blue Oyster Cult. That's interesting. Because Blue Oyster Cult's an interesting band because they've been around for so long, but there was a big gap for them with hits. Back when they gave people a chance. Do you remember the way it used to be? You could go a few albums without a hit song and still be on a label and get promoted. Um, and now it's just like, oh, yeah, your second no. album, take, you're done. Bye. Yeah, it's like, like in this case, this is the first hit album after two consecutive commercially disappointing releases and at the same time this also had has a bunch of songs that were written for heavy metal well I don't want to say a bunch I think there's maybe two maybe three at most uh, although ironically Veteran of the Psychic Wars which was picked for the film wasn't written for this <laughs> ironic which is a great song that one truly impressive and that's like a whole new sound for them is that song yeah, and that's uh, written by the uh, sci-fi author, sci-fi fantasy author Michael Moorcock. And it's funny is that that song kind of belongs at a later point in the film, uh-huh. and yet where they place it, I think is like the weirdest choice. I mean, granted, it's a droney, you know, kind of dark sounding song, and it kind of the if it was just an instrumental, sure, I'll buy that for. For the planes flying over world, in World War Two, but uh, anything you know, the fact that it's about psych, you know, a guy who's fighting a psychic war, you know, you'd think that that would be a little bit more in like the Tarna, right? You know, that, that's what I would think. But that's what uh, Vengeance, the pack, is uh, was uh, written for, was for literally for that segment, and basically describes the story. So. It's a good song, but it's also kind of because it's so literal. I don't think it would have worked. The uh, the one burning for you is the big hit off this one, and I think that yeah. song is perfectly geared for a ska remake. And no one's ever done one. Come on, listen to it. Pick up the pace a little bit. You add the horns to it instead of the ah. Oh, you just bring like the trombones and stuff. It's a fucking great setup for a ska song. Well, actually, I think uh, Soul Survivor kind of has this Oingo Boingo thing going on with it, like especially in the vocals. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good album, like, and I want to go explore some more of their stuff because I feel like I only know maybe two of their, like you know, when they first had their big hit with "Don't Fear the Reaper," and then this one, that's it. Yeah, like Astronomy is amazing. "Don't Fear the Reaper" is great. Godzilla. Oh, I they did Godzilla. Have, I didn't know that. They do. Yeah, they have so many great songs. Okay. May I need to start yeah, with the greatest? That's one? usually what I do. I know it's a cheat, but I like to sometimes just go grab a greatest hits collection, and if I feel good about that, then that's when I expand out to the full albums. That's actually that's what I like about Spotify is that I'll just sit there and hit shuffle on a band and just let it just let it roll. Yeah, and you, know, you end up discovering some interesting stuff because yeah, it's like the hits are great, but it's always fun to get like B sides. Like in the case of this. Uh, this kind of this kind of was a minor hit, but there's a there's they have a song called Joan Crawford on this that I think rips so hard, and it's like almost the anti uh, Bella Lugosi is dead song because <laughs> it's cause it's like you know Faster, lyrics, you know like the shorter. chorus being Joan Crawford has has risen from her grave. <laughs> it's like like it's such a weird goofy ass song again these same guys who did Godzilla so of course yeah they have a sense of humor about them yeah uh, this like this is the album that really kind of sold like enjoyed songs by by BOC but this is the album that sold me on wanting to truly listen to all their stuff yeah is, is this a concept album uh, not really again it's partially songs written for a movie that they just didn't pick so you kind of had that and then filled with other stuff okay and what do you have for me next I have the blasters with their second sort of first album it's weird okay this is back they do this every once in a while where a band will release an album 
and it doesn't sell very well. It gets a little bit of notice, gets picked up by a bigger label, and then that label says, let's take the good songs off that first album, let's add a bunch of new songs to it, and then this, for us, will be your debut album. Even though people are like, wait, I have I have this one here called American Music. Yeah, 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 but we're going to take uh, American Music from that and a couple other songs. We're going to throw it on the new one, which is a self-title, so it's very confusing. The second album from the Blasters is actually, <laughs> it's confusing, but it's, it's self-titled, which I hate it when they do that. I think there's only one chance you get with a self-titled album, and that's your debut. Well, I could see someone doing it. Some Metallica's The Black Album, their uh, self-titled. Yeah, but it's called The Black Album. Nobody calls it Metallica Metallica, or self-titled. They call it The Black Album. The same thing with Weezer. None of them are called Weezer Part 2, Weezer 3, Weezer 4. They're called The Blue Album, The Yellow Album, The Gold Album, The White Album. Well, that's just because they're lazy at yeah. that point. They, it is kind of strange, got, right? They had one great. Yeah, they had, they had, you know, they had their debut, which is awesome. And okay, fine. I'll, I'll give, I'll give someone a uh, this, doing it again, maybe for the Green album. Okay. Because that was their big comeback. I can kind of see that because they were gone for what five years, and then they, you know, kicked the door open and said, "Hey, we're reintroducing ourselves." But they've done it so many times now; it's ridiculous. Yeah, and that yeah, it, that at that point it loses all meaning. Yeah. Um, now, in the case of this, I I'm not going to say I liked the album necessarily, but I do think that it is a great example of solid old school rock and roll. Yeah, this is when uh, rockabilly was being reintroduced, you know, with Stray Cats and, and stuff. This was kind of the um, the antithesis to prog rock, where it was shorter, faster, cleaner. And um, with with the Blasters, they were focused on you know Southern style. So there's a lot of New Orleans influence in these music, in these songs, and um, it's just something unique to me. I don't particularly like this genre. There's a handful of guys I like. I just really like the the mean, lean kind of way of they the designing their songs. But it doesn't hurt the fact that I love their music from Streets of Fire and the opening of Dust Till Dawn. That's what introduced me to the band. Yeah, it's like on this album, the, the two tracks I, I dug the most. You got Border Radio and American Music, uh-huh. and just you know those things are totally the, like very much my style of rock and roll. Like, you know, as much as you could say, oh yeah, rock and roll is this genre, and a lot of things will go into that. I specifically hear this, like especially Border Radio. I specifically hear that as rock and roll. Yeah, and, and I think he has a hell of a voice. Um, the one he does before that, I'm Shaking, is a cover, but the way that they do it is almost goofy and weird. Um, and, I, and there's something appealing about that because that seems like such an almost like a novelty song. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's the thing. It's like it's as I said, it's as a whole. I think the album, as I said, I find the album to be solid. You know, it'll be. A piece here, a piece there, you know, a couple of couple of songs that I absolutely love and they are definitely on my Spotify list and they will go on on if I want a travel mix or something like that. But it's like I I love uh, a song I guess that came later which was Dark Knight. Yes. I know that's, that's their masterpiece. That's a song I think. that everybody knows. Yeah. Yeah, everybody knows that one from especially uh what was it? Dust till Dawn. From Dust till Dawn. Almost said that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be a daylight show, and there'd be no vampires. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I wasn't yeah, sure that... if you were going to go for that one because it's usually not in your wheelhouse. I didn't, I didn't expect it to be in your wheelhouse. Um, I got some oddball taste in music, so it's all over the place, and uh, I, I like to test people out with some new stuff. So I'm glad you didn't hate it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, I'm always game for giving stuff a shot. You know, it's like nothing ventured, nothing gained. Yeah, and it gives you a taste of different um, uh, niches because the there's a there's a word for it. Uh, it's like Cajun rock or something or swamp swamp rock, uh, swamp rock where it's New Orleans influenced, and, and you hear the uh, I don't know what is it, is it a fiddle? What is that sound? Especially in um, border radio, you hear it in the background, um, but you only ever hear it in. Cajun music, uh, Zydeco, or what do you want to call that? Um, it's a very unusual yeah. instrument. I don't know what it's called, but if anybody knows, tell me. 
Well, it's like like they'll use dulcimers, they'll use all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Well, have you ever seen the movie Southern Comfort? No. Oh, I gotta get no, you this movie. There's a whole sequence at the end where they use that instrument and all this, all this like you know, uh, atmospheric stuff. Um, okay, so it's hard to explain, but um, the the movie is uh, set in 1969 and it's it was made in 1981. Oddly enough, appropriate for our episode now. Um, it's a Walter Hill movie with um, Powers Booth and Keith Carradine, and their whole group is down there because they're the National Guard and they're on that weekend um, uh, training session. You know, have they, you know they do one weekend a month or something like that. And they've never been in the swamps before, and they get lost, and they fuck with some Cajuns, and it goes horribly wrong, so the Cajuns start hunting them down one by one. Yeah, and there's a of sequence... Of course it goes wrong. <laughs> and, there's a, and there's a sequence in the movie where they're playing that music, and it's so creepy and unnerving, and it stresses you out, because it keeps picking up the pace as the, the tension is going. It's a phenomenal movie. I'll see if I can find the soundtrack to that. Yeah, it's, it's so good. So atmospheric. Well, who's the guy who did that? It was, um... Oh, damn it. He does all the music for... He did the music for Streets of Fire. Uh, he does all the music for the Walter Hill movies. I'll tell you later. Just... We'll, we'll continue. But um, that's my... I, I love the Blasters. And they uh, they don't really do normal concerts. They always just attend, like, jazz festivals. And as some of our listeners might know, I discovered jazz this week. Like, discovered it, discovered. Like, I sat down and listened yeah. to it. And I was like, oh, no, I kind of get this now. Though jazz funk is a different thing all itself, and that's fucking great. <laughs> There's no question about jazz funk. Yeah, that's, a, that's the thing. Jazz is, is amazing and so varied, and that's definitely something we should get into it at some point. Oh, hey, Southern Comfort's free on Tubi. Okay. I'm hoping it's the right summer cover. Apparently, there's two movies, but um, the movie, oh, the music by Ry Cooter. Um, he's huge in that scene. These uh, South uh, influenced uh, blues. Okay. Okay, I took us too far. Listen, off. I'll give it. I'll, I'll <laughs> <laughs> All right, your turn. All right. Well, my next album is Def Leppard's High and Dry. This now, surprised me this, very much. Yeah, uh, we have a PMRC Filthy 15 song on this album. What's that? Now, I... Okay, I think when we get to 85, we should full-on either devote an entire episode to it or something, because this there's a lot to go, on, okay. go over about this. But basically, uh, sim- simply put... The Parents Music Resource Center was a committee formed in 85, founded by four women who were married to men who were politically active in the D.C. area, like Tipper Gore, who was wife at, at the time, Senator Al Gore. Okay. And Susan Baker, wife of the, the Treasury Secretary James at the time. Uh, and they're essentially the reason why there are parental warning label stickers on albums these days. And... High and Dry was on this list of filthy songs that had sex or, you know, you know, horrible, horrible, nasty, dirty things that would scar the minds of young children. What is in this, this album? Was, uh, I don't hear anything bad about it. Am I not paying attention? <laughs> well, this uh, High and Dry... I'm oh, sorry. Yeah. High and Dry, Saturday Night. Uh, that track is, is the song they picked because it had lyrics about alcohol and drug use. Wow. And what's funny about that is, listen to any party song now, and they say more, far more heinous shit. Oh, yeah, than they say more in country music, dude. In this <laughs> yeah, this is like this is almost cute in you know in comparison. It's like, yeah, we're gonna go out and have parties, and we're gonna do, we're gonna smoke some reefer. You know, they, they don't do that. They don't say that exactly, but you know, yes, it's. There is drugs and alcohol involved in their partying, but it's not. They, it, it's nothing overly foul that they ever describe is in this, their debauchery. Is this their first album, Def Leppard? No, this is their second. Okay. Did they have any hits off the first one? Because I was actually surprised that I thought some of these songs came off of Hysteria. I didn't think they broke out until Hysteria. So when I was listening to this, I was like, wait, I know these songs. I've heard, the, I've heard them before. Well, that's, a, well, that's just it. This, their first album did okay uh but this one was produced by uh mutt lang who at the time 
had produced uh, like Highway to Hell, Back in Black. He did uh, the Outlaws playing with uh, playing to win and Foreigners Four. Okay, yeah, he's and a huge he, name during this time know, period. Yeah, and then later on, you know, he did work with like Shania Twain, Maroon Five, and Muse and stuff. But basically, that started a collaboration that basically resulted in their biggest albums of all time. And this album actually didn't actually break all that big, like surprisingly, because it's a hell of an album. But yeah, it basically did really define what their sound was going to be, and they're uh, they had a video for "Breaking on the Heartbreak," which mm-hmm. was one of the first video uh, metal videos to actually receive airplay on MTV. Are they metal, really? I've never really counted them. I don't count them as hair metal either, uh, or one of the hair bands. I, I I feel like all those guys that existed before that were more hard rock. Well, they're yeah. It's like. I will give them the first two albums being basically like early metal things, kind of like in the same way that you have Sabbath and some of these other, you know, Steppenwolf, you can argue as a metal band. Uh, there's there's a certain amount of sound and heaviness to what they do that, like Van Halen, you know, they're they're in line with like early Van Halen. Yeah, it's the I see them more as hard rock. And then, yeah. Well, even then, Van Halen's first couple of things are pretty metal, and then they gradually became much more radio-friendly commercial hard rock. Okay. I mean, you listen, you listen to that first first Van Halen album. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right because then, especially '84, um, Jump doesn't even start with guitars; it starts with the keyboard synth. And uh, you're right; they do more move towards more, and especially when Sammy Hagar came, and that was much more pop. Yeah, and. Like I said, this is this is a extremely and I'll just I'll now go back to hard rockin'. Everything about this album basically rocks. Like let it go. The the very moment you hear Steve or at least I hear Steve Clark's guitar, I'm just throwing up horns, I am headbanging. You know, it's like <laughs> now it does kinda have a little bit of a I'll say it does kinda have a little bit of a quiet riot vibe. Uh-huh. Kinda, there's a little bit of bang your head, but as well as this A C D C sound yeah well definitely like the mutt lang influence and, and here's the two big differences that i've seen in death leopard is um when they're doing this album i don't feel like he's pushing his vocals as hard and and i remember seeing an interview about it as like mutt lang forced me to sing above my normal level and the strain was so much after um what like by 96 or 97 that he had to bring it back down and these first you know uh, this album whatever it sounds a little lower key and he's not pr- pushing it so hard. And I, I actually enjoy it more because I have a problem with really high singing and falsetto. It bugs me to no end. And uh, I think his vocals on this are much better. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, it's, you get really, really strong things like another hit and run, that you know, second track on the album. Bring It On The Heartbreak is an amazing ballad. You have uh, Lady Strange, which is a song that to my knowledge, hasn't really been covered that much, or at all. And I don't understand why, because it basically is... I can, I can hear it as being like a uh, a Sabbath song, or at least something that Ozzy's singing. Or even, hell, uh, Typo Negative. I can hear uh, Pete Steele doing it. Huh. Or, before he died, anyway. Yeah, I don't know that band. But Sorry. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> I know who they are, I just never listened very, to them. Yeah. Very down-tuned, gothic dark thing. Like, oh man, that song is just, it's so perfect for stuff like that. You know, Mirror Mirror's amazing. I mean, really, if anything, the last song on the, on the album, No, 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 is probably the weakest thing on it. And that song rocks. Yeah, well, well, usually the last song is usually the weakest too, but if you can hold out past halfway point and you're still good... That's some talent right there because I've seen so many albums fizzle out halfway point. If you gotta flip the record and it sucks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like side you know, side A is always always your strongest material, side B is kind of the leftovers. Yeah. But well, that, that's how I felt yeah, about it's like I had a choice here, Shake It Up, um, by cars I was going to put on the list, and then I actually listened to it for the first time in like twenty five years, I'm like, Oh, it's front loaded, the back end sucks ass. Yeah, but that's always... 
I, I've always found that to be the, the shame is you always want, you know, you start listening to an album going, this is going to be one of my favorite albums of all time. And then, yeah, you get about, you know, a couple of songs in and then all of a sudden, huh, that wasn't very good. Okay, <laughs> this song's okay. Oh, wait, no, no, all right. Why, <laughs> or, why are you doing or this to me? Or you can buy an album where it's only the song you know and the rest of it sucks dick. I'm talking to you, The Flies. I got you where I want you is the only good song in that album. Damn it. Should have just kept my disturbing behavior soundtrack. Yeah, but that's again, that was also the became the time when that was all they were doing was selling the single. The yeah. album was kind of yeah. a secondary thought. Oh boy. So, um yeah, that that one's a really good album. I, I'm looking forward to talking about Hysteria, which is an album I probably haven't listened to and maybe God, 27, 20 years? It was right around uh, when the, the band started falling apart, you know, for a little bit. You know, every hair yeah. metal band kind of fell apart in 92, 93, and uh, they held out a little bit longer, but now they're kind of like the guys that just sell millions of uh, tickets, and they can't sell millions of albums. Yeah, everyone wants to see them, They don't, and they want to see them play all the songs that they remember in their youth. Yeah. The um, which brings me to a band that was falling apart at the same time. Oh wait, no, that's not right. Hold on, let me rewind it myself. Kiss fell apart at this time, and they revived themselves within '92 around the same time. Look, I had a thing there. I'm gonna ditch it. Let's just walk away. Look, walk, walk away from the gates <laughs> and leave the oil. Um, I don't know where I was going just with that. Just walk away. You just walk away. <laughs> um, kiss, damn it! I'm never gonna recover from this. Uh, songs from the Elder, music from the Elder. Um, an album that I have heard from everybody I know that likes Kiss hates. They think this is their worst album. This was a massive flop. It nearly derailed the band. It is my favorite album from them. I love it. I, even though I am not a, a big Kiss fan, I do like. Essentially, I like the hits. Yeah, I there's I think there's a couple of good songs on here, but that's really about <gasps> it. But then these are fight words. No. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say this. I guess, with the exception of the original LP release, after that came out, they rearranged the song, the 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 track listing. Uh huh. So the. I listened to this in a completely different order than would have been intended. Right, because if I remember so correctly... So I think that might... Yeah. I'm thinking... Okay, I so think that might have hurt it. Yeah, there, there's, I think there's added songs too, but what happened was is they were trying to make it... They, they went out of order. This is a concept album, their only concept album. And it's almost like a sword sorcery story, and I, I don't know if it was meant to be a movie. I've heard rumors that it was supposed to be. You could never just get it going. And then when it didn't sell is when they shut it down. And uh, this did come out. There's a comic book uh, where they, they, they take the story of the Elder and they put it into two volumes. Uh, you can collect in trade paperback, and I'm eager to find those. It's like, yeah, there's, like, for this album, Odyssey is okay. You know, it's like, it's, you know, it's like, where is it? Uh, only You, I think it was like, the, as I'm kind of going along, because you had Fanfare, Just a Boy, Odyssey, and it's kind of like, this is a Kiss album? <laughs> it's really? wildly different. It is, well, you know, their music is kind of vapid. We do have the hits, but everything else they've done is basically junk. It's throwaway garbage. They were not guys that were trying to make an album. They were trying to make hits. And they just had filler for the rest of it, and they knew they could sell. And this is the first time when they tried to come up with something that would be a full concept. And every song lines up together. They're not all great. There's a couple. I think Mr. Blackwell is a lazy, half-ass song, um, which is surprising. Lou actually, Reed that's wrote with them on half of these songs. I Actually, Mr. Blackwell, I think, was my favorite song off the album. Yeah, something about it bugs me, and I don't know what it is. It's not an awful song, but it, it doesn't seem to fit. I think it's one of the only oh, ones that doesn't have. Oh an... no! It. Go ahead. Yeah, that song does not fit on that album yeah. at all. And and I is ex... the the album basically ends with I, and I think it's such an extremely powerful song. They have you know full orchestra in this. They have choruses. Um, and it's so much more expansive, and it was very expensive. It didn't sell shit. It nearly destroyed the band, and uh, it's it's shocking that they were able to come back the next year with more douchebag music. <laughs> Lick it up. And that's the thing. Lick it's, it up. I'm like, it, come on. 
I think I think part of it is is they they know what their wheelhouse is, and their wheelhouse is making yeah, is vapid party songs and occasionally occasionally balloting it up, but for the most part they just kind of write fun you know fun drinking music yeah stuff you know they're 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 perfect for the arena rock thing and trying to be artists is wasn't really in the cards for them i, I guess the but I, I i can respect the fact that they were trying to be taken seriously though i mean of course it backfired on them and then they took the makeup off and that backfired eventually and uh i, I don't know what it is maybe it's just a a band that wanted to be respected but just didn't have what it took. But I, I, I do enjoy this album. I think a lot of it's because I'm a big sword sorcery fan and then they're building this world that I'm, I'm interested in, in hearing about. Yeah, it's like... I, I just kind of wish that, that the music itself, like, sonically, if this, if this album was a lot stronger, I think I probably would have liked it more because I, I totally get... As I said, you know, they're branching out from their comfort zone. And fans, as we all know, don't like that. <laughs> For the most part, and, unless your name you know, is Bowie. Moment... <laughs> yeah, and well, even then, Bowie, you know, some of his stuff that he did, people, nev- you know, were like, well, why didn't you just keep doing that? Why don't you keep releasing, uh, uh, oh, how I get the Let's Dance. Do right. more let's dances. Well, I mean, they, they bitch when you know? he they bitch when he went out of makeup too, and somehow survived that. It's just for some reason I think Kiss just got nervous. Even though I think in '92 we're going to discuss another one of their albums, Revenge, um, where they were getting into you know leather and black metal, you know, and stuff, stuff like that. And I don't know what happened. They just got nervous and went back to the makeup. I guess it's all about the money because you know. Let's be clear. Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley are really only in it for sex and money, and and they're not exactly known for being uh, respectable, except for this one time. Damn it! <laughs> yeah, it's it's a shame that it didn't work. I I will say that it's it's one of things where I never want even even artists that I can't stand and loathe. I never want really want anyone to fail. I I, per, I fully believe. Everyone, even the most garbage, you know, uh, musician or musical artist like Justin Bieber, has at least one good album in them. Yeah, it's just getting the right people together. They may never get to that point. Yeah, their pieces have to fall together, or people get tired of waiting and they move on. Yeah, and this could have—it's one of the things where I think, yeah, I agree with you. It's like they probably set out to like make their magnum opus. Do and you think tripped and fell? Do you think that they were too late for this? Do you think it was maybe three or four years behind? Because when uh, progressive rock and concept albums were huge, they were out doing uh, that disco album. Uh, uh, I was made for love and you, and then all my you're switching back to this. It's such a breakneck twist. I think that's another thing that just went wrong for them. You don't go from hard rock to disco to concept albums. Yeah, that that would definitely be because that also sets up a expectation that that they're not going to be able to fulfill. Where it's like we've made a disco album, now let's go and do this, and everyone's going, we didn't like your disco album that much. Why not? <laughs> you know, why not go back to the hard rock? Wait, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that is it for this album. What is your final album? Is it my final? final album? Is yeah. Yep, the final one uh, is the self-titled album by Was Not Was, which is now only you're able to find this as uh, Outcome the Freaks. It's basically re-released in 2004 with additional material. But uh, this is a band whose claim to fame really was, apparently was, Walk the dinosaur. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Open the door, get on the floor, everybody do the dinosaur, if you don't remember the song. It was huge because yeah, of and Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah, and it's a shame because they're so much better than that song, because they're, the, they're this mix of rock, funk, and jazz, and 
this is really something we do not get these days. Yeah, this I didn't. Well, I didn't get this at all. I appreciate it, but I didn't get it. And are they more of a jam band that eventually just end up doing top forty a song here and there because they don't seem like they're meant for pop radio. They seem like they're more for like uh, audiophiles. You know, oh, look, listen to the layers in the yeah. background, man. It's it's really complicated and um, yeah. I appreciate this is very yeah. much. When, you, when you're talking about, like, the post-rock, art-rock, you know, type stuff, again, when I talk about jazz and stuff like that, I mean, hell, this is a this is an album that features MC5's Wayne Kramer and jazz trumpeteer uh, Marcus Belgrave. Marcus Belgrave played with Charles Mingus, Ray Charles, The Temptations, Four Tops, Ella Fitzgerald, Sammy Davis Jr., Dizzy Gluster. I mean, go like, there's talent on this album and this is like this is a bizarre thing to listen to and I love it yeah I, I I couldn't get into it I tried I listened to about half of it and then it just kind of wandered off so I apologize but it's one it's the oh, one no. the only album I couldn't finish well here's the thing I will get like if you if you got up to like oh Mr. Friction I totally get it it's not really a song so much as it's this weird post-disco beat poetry thing <laughs> and, and also the first track which was not part of the original release the song called wheel me out is not good because especially once you get into outcome the freaks and the way it opens is the opening of an album that's now shoved to track two okay yeah and it kind of and it, and it feels very weird because it's you know kind of like you know like this build up to the the funk that you get but wow i mean just there's so much like you know outcome the freaks uh where did your heart go god the sax on that is so good <laughs> you know you know carry me uh, back to old morocco is this very pop poppy song that's definitely like aside from like the weird spoken word stuff uh is like the most out there song considering how funky and jazz this thing is uh-huh. you know it's an attack is amazing the last track is great it's just it's one of those things where it's you can't go into this album expecting anything because even me saying oh it's a funk jazz album you'll go in like wait huh where who I'm being hit I'm being hit from all sides on this I got nothing to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, no worries. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I they've they're basically they as a as a band they pretty much decided that they were just gonna wing it for everything because I think like the second album has Iggy Pop and some other guest vocals. Uh, it's they're like I said. There's so much more than this uh, than Walk the Dinosaur, and it feels it, I feel so bad that that's the only thing we know them for. Yeah, it's it's a shame to be known as a novelty band when that was never your goal. Exactly, but your last one is an interesting, yes. interesting pick. Um, okay, so Oingo Boingo, Only a Lad, their debut album, sort of. They had a lot of smaller press but nothing with a label and uh you know they they hit the big time with uh forbidden zone a movie i don't understand at all you did that right for an episode of what did we just I watch did, no that okay. that was uh somebody else andrew and someone else yeah it's uh i watched it i don't get it it's very frustrating and annoying and um so i was apprehensive i had their greatest hits collection for years but i never dived into just listening to the full album and um I just hit mix one day and I listened to it all day at work and I said, screw it, I'm going to listen to every album from the beginning. And Only a Lad is a hell of a debut. And I, apparently from what Andrew was telling me, because he's more knowledgeable on this than I am, is that um, Danny Elfman went to England and saw the rise of uh, ska music, you know, the, the, the second wave ska. 
and got super excited about it and then just streamlined everything. It was no longer Mystic Nights of the Oingo Boingo. The stage show was nowhere nearly as elaborate. They, they cut it down and uh, you know made an ensemble. A huge band, by the way. There's like 13 people in this fucking band. It's insane how they could pay for all these people. But what they came up with is beautiful. It's ugly beautiful, I should say, because every song is so elaborate, but almost all of them are twisted in some way, taking normal America and showing you the dark side of it, which was a newer thing because we hadn't dived into the whole kitsch, you know, um, um, you know, uh, Tim Burton style, the John Waters stuff just yet. Yeah, because especially, I mean, uh, an opener like Little Girls. Holy it, shit. It really does show you the difference of what is, quote, unquote, acceptable to put on an album these days. Right. Even though, yes, yes, I know it's a satire right. of these things, but... I, it's a song that I can't play in my ra- you know in my car else I know someone's going to sit there and look at me like I'm some sort of pervert. Yes. And well here's the thing a lot of people don't get about Oingo Boingo is that the protagonists of a lot of their songs are actually the villains but they don't know they're the villains. Or they're they're some sort of like of uh, only a lad is about a bunch of people making an excuse for a villain. You know, so like that little girls is about a guy who wants underage girls and it turns out it's hell on earth for him and uh, we're not supposed to feel sympathy for him we're supposed to mock him and, and deride him for his stupid bullshit yeah and I do I do like the fact that Danny Elfman did go go around and ex- and have different explanations for the meaning of the song including the fact that he's talking about oh no he's talking about his girlfriend who is like palm sized <laughs> like literally oh, a little okay. girl so, so he was pulling a Joker, basically, from Dark Knight. So you don't really... Or Dark Knight... Yeah, the Dark Knight where, um, you know, you don't really know the origin. Because I think he's been... He's playing with us. Danny Elfman is known now as an arc, uh, you know, a composer for movies. But when he was the lead singer of Oingo Boingo, especially you can tell in the videos, is he's fucking with us. He's fucking with mainstream America. He wants to see if he can test your limits. Yeah, and there's, like... Capitalism is a hell of a track, especially it's like so cons- the the vocals how how the vocals are constructed in this thing is so unique even for this band. And yeah, like uh, nasty habits. Yeah, the beginning of nasty habits you can see right there in the beginning of that song he is building what would become his uh, orchestra style for you know I and mean, you can hear almost Pee Wee's Big Adventure in that song. Yeah, now I will say this. I did not like their cover if you really got me. No, I hate when they do covers. There I, I that and the one felt, that I am the walrus, I don't care for. Yeah, it's like it felt like Devo was doing the cover, but it was like them doing a bad Devo cover of that song. Right. It's it's as if the label told them, Hey look, we got this catalogue of songs, you need one song in here because people love it when Devo does does it because every single album I think from Devo had one version of it. They always called it their mutated version or mutato version. And it worked because they were deconstructing the song. I don't like what Oingo Boingo does with the cover songs because they're not saying anything. It's just a generic cover. Yeah. It it just it really like everything else on the song is really good. Like Only a Lad is absolutely my favorite song by Oingo Boingo just flat out. Yeah. And it's like controllers interesting, like a little twisty little song. You know, uh, on the outside is pretty good. Perfect system is so like wonderfully boppy, but yeah, you just kind of get to that that cover and just yeah, it's a dead stop. It's right in the middle. It's before you sl- uh, flip the side two, and it's just a dead stop for me. They should have put it towards the end. But um, what I like is either he's telling you about guys who are messed up and they don't know they're messed up, or he's pe- people who are holding it in. And he has three songs that are like this about um, chaos contained, and or, or something like our misfit contained. It's a perfect system on the outside, and what you see are all songs about internalizing something that wants to get out. Yeah, and they—that's that's what I think. And also, I I don't know much about Danny Elfman's personal life, and it's one of those things where you don't really want to dig in some cases on some of these things. But as much as I know that he he very much likes to examine the dark side, you know, again, a la, like, John Waters and stuff like that, you also kind of wonder, 
what demons does this man have? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if he has some of these them, songs. What I'm thinking is, and I have the same thing, is I don't necessarily have demons, but I was a very quiet, shy... Um, I would watch people and study them and observe, and I would see what they were really saying, what was behind the words they were saying, their behavior. Like, uh, it's, it's a two-faced thing. I can, I can almost always tell when someone's lying to me. And I think that's more of what Danny Elfman has, is that he was probably a very shy child in a twisted suburbia that was seen as perfect during his era, the 60s. And he saw the dark side, and that's what a lot of these songs are about. And I think when he's writing about the contained chaos is that his shyness disappears and he becomes the personality that's the lead singer of Boingo Boingo. The Danny Elfman that sits at home now and, and does com- uh, music for movies is not the same one that gets on stage. Because I've seen their live show. Um, not I didn't get to see it when they were around, but I saw it on video. And he comes alive. He's like a demented showman for a crazy circus. A sideshow. Okay. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, I, as I said, I sit there and go, I know that, again, with these songs, it's the deconstruction of it. As I said, it's just, you kind of sit there and wonder sometimes about why, you know, it's like, not necessarily, I shouldn't say why, because I know why. Yeah. We always like to examine this, but it's just kind of where the inspiration comes from at that time. Alright, so that's the end of it for Oingo Boingo with me. Now it's time for our Almost Made It albums. Which, um, which ones did you have on your list but you just didn't choose them? I had uh, Public Image Limited's Flowers of Romance. I, uh, I was uh, very... I was fighting over doing Venom's Welcome to Hell. Because <laughs> that one's definitely going to be a... Well, I... Decided to move the, uh, move their uh, release to the 82 release because they're probably one of the most influential bands in, I want to say, not just thrash metal and things like that, but also in death metal and black metal. Because they essentially with their, well, we'll get into that one in the next show. Okay. <laughs> but uh, Human League's Dare. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, let's see. Black Flag's Damage was one I was looking at possibly doing. And almost, and almost, this was very close to being picked, was Mission of Burma's Signals, Calls, and Marches. <laughs> you always have much more elaborate. I, like, I, I feel like I'm too mainstream. I'm too dorky for this show. Um, my almost were stuff that's kind of mainstream. I mentioned Special Forces by Alice Cooper. That wasn't mainstream because that was a big flop. Um, uh, Shake It Out by The Cars. You know, the last half sucked. Uh, Prince Charming by Adam and the Ant. But I didn't want to choose another Adam Ant one. Um, Hard and Heavy by Anvil. And uh, Bad for Good by Jim Steinman, which is a crazy-ass concept album, but it just didn't make it. Okay. Yeah, there's like again, there's there's stuff that I said. I also I, I'll I'll throw out one that got did get pushed uh, to that, which was Asthmatics, uh, Beyond the Valley of 1984. <laughs> Plasmatics. That is such a great album. I want to listen to that one, but that reminds me of the band we were talking about last night. <laughs> the spasmatics. <laughs> um, so if you, if, I'm gonna plug this real quick. Uh, spasmatics is a band of nerdy guys who do cover songs, but they're they're kind of a comedy group, but they also do amazing music. And my fr- uh, friend Jeff Kalmbach is in that band. He's a lead guitarist, and they're doing free concerts once a week on Facebook Live, and they're raising money for charity with these shows. That's it. Yeah, okay. dude, check them out. Is they're they're a good band. <laughs> All right, anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, check out all of our uh, wonderful shows on the uh, Hit Rewind, you know, Hit Rewind family. We got some good uh, old school stuff that are making the transition to this to this new channel. Yeah, it's time for me and... to purge, start over again. I I, uh, I just wanted to clean the slate. Yeah, it's like, I think I got uh, one more episode, fourth. Well, at this at the time of recording, definitely forthcoming on uh, what we did. What did we just watch? That I think is definitely going to be one one of the one of the most entertaining ones we've done. Oh, what's the movie? What's the movie? What's it called? Let's see that. <laughs> you don't know, I do you? Remember the movie. <laughs> 
can't remember. Oh my god, you're gonna say something. Like, oh, it was called, I think, Twister. Oh, yes. That's it. <laughs> Real weird I, movie. I bought a vampire motorcycle. What? That's a movie. Yeah, that is a movie. All right, where can we find you? On it's Twitter? also a, a oh. poorly misnamed. But uh, where am I on Twitter? Check me out. M y u z i s h i o n musician. All right, everybody, and check us. Also, oh, sorry. There's a delay, and it's I'm weird. Also there up, yeah, I'm also up there up on uh, Spotify if you want to take a listen. Uh, we've got a list for 1980, and we're going to have one up for 1981 as well. Yeah, it'll be called the Hit Rewind Playlist, correct? Yes. Okay. And that's where we are on Facebook. Check us out there and uh, hit like and share if you like any of the episodes. Tell us if what we're doing right or what we're doing wrong. We're kind of rebooting everything, so I want to head in the, uh, the right direction. So let me know, and um, everybody have a good night. John, set us out. The needle has dropped. <laughs>